Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So you know what this tells us? This tells us that there's only one way to please God. We must have faith in him. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, have faith in God. And in order to have faith in him and please him, we must believe that he is. We must believe that God exists. We must believe that God is. We must believe. We must believe that God is real. Because there's a whole lot of people that don't believe him. They don't even believe he exists. Turn to John 12. John 12, verse 44. John 12. John 12, verse 44. He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Is that what it says? That is to say, if you believe that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, then it's not me you believe in. It's he that sent me that you believe in. Because I and he are one. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. So Jesus says, when you look at me, you see the one who sent me. And you see the one who's in me. And you see the one who sent me and who the one who's in me. I said that twice on purpose. He says, you see the creator of the heavens and the earth. When you look at me, you see the holy soul of God in a body of flesh. You see the righteous sovereign, the mighty God in one person. Notice Jesus does not say he's a representative of God or an ambassador, or a messenger. Jesus affirms that in the body, in that in body and soul, he is the visible image of the invisible God. And the scriptures confirm this truth. How do we know? Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus is the express image of his person. Does it say persons? Does it say Jesus is one of the persons? No, it does not say that, does it? It says Jesus is the express image of his person. And so Jesus says, if you believe that I am who I say I am, then in verse 46, he says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Why would Jesus say that? Because every human being is born into the darkness of sin. Every human being is born lost in the darkness of ignorance to the things of God. Every human being comes into this world bound by the darkness of carnal desires. However, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you believe in me, I will take you out of darkness. I am the light of the world. If you believe in me, I will make myself known to you. I am the light of the world. If you believe in me, I will free you from the bondage of sin in your flesh. 
Jesus says, I will do these things for you and so much more. If when you hear my gospel, you just believe. But if you reject my gospel in unbelief, then you will be lost in eternal darkness. My gospel will be hidden from you because you are lost. 2 Corinthians 4.3. 2 Corinthians 4.3 confirms this truth. 2 Corinthians 4.3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Says, says the God of this world. So there's a God of this world. And it's not Jesus. It's a lowercase g. So that God that he's talking about, that's not Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Because if my kingdom were of this world, I could wipe it, I would wipe it out. And one day I will. So in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, here it comes, who is the image of God. There it is again, isn't it? Should shine unto them. So the direct consequences of rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be blind to the gospel and eternally lost. That's the consequence. Once someone says, I don't believe it, it's going to be hidden from them. Because the consequences of saying I don't believe it means it's going to be hidden from you because you're lost because of your unbelief. Mm. And once again, we see that Christ is the image of God, which further supports that he is God manifest in the flesh. I'm so glad I know that, Elder. I am so glad I understand that. And so those who reject the gospel, back to John 44, 47, John 44, 47, to those who reject the gospel, Jesus says, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. Why? Because I didn't come, to, I didn't, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Jesus didn't come to send us to hell. Jesus came specifically to save us. So he says, if you hear my words and reject them, then he will not pass judgment on you. He says, if you hear his words and you reject, I'm not going to pass judgment on you. You pass judgment on yourself by rejecting my words. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. I came to save your soul. I didn't come to save your flesh. I came to save your soul. So Jesus now came as light shining in darkness to free, free humanity from the eternal consequences of sin. He came as light shining in darkness to save the world from eternal darkness. He came as a light shining in darkness to set the captive free. That's why I said once I was lost and alone and forsaken, not knowing where I could find salvation. And then out of the darkness, his love appeared and he saved me and he washed me in his blood and cleansed me and gave me his spirit, put his spirit in me. And now I am healed and delivered forever. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So Jesus says, those who reject him also reject his offer to save them. And they will be judged. 
not by him. They will be judged by the very gospel that they rejected. They will be judged by the words they refuse to accept as true. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you must receive the indwelling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues or you are not saved and you are not prepared for eternity and you are lost. And if you reject those words, that's the worst thing anyone can ever do is to reject the gospel. Because once you slip out of here, once your soul leaves your body, there is no do over. There's no changing it. It's the die is cast. It's on in Krizakin. Hmm. Those who reject his offer to save them, they will be judged not by him. They will be judged by the gospel they rejected. Hmm. They will be judged by the only words that could save them. And their rejection of the word of God means that they have condemned themselves to eternal, the eternal consequences of sin. And as a, res a result of their rejection of the word of God, they're destined to be in a place of eternal torment when all they have to do is just repent and be baptized in his name and receive the, spirit, receive the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. How hard is that? That's hard for a lot of people. That is really hard for a lot of people because they will say it doesn't take all that and I don't believe any of that. Verse 49, Jesus says, I haven't spoken of myself, but the father which sent me, he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. You understand what Jesus is saying? The Holy Ghost is in this body. And as you listen to him speak, you're listening to the father speak. You're listening to the Holy Ghost speak to you from this body of flesh. That's what he says. For I have not spoken of myself, but the father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. So Jesus makes it very clear that what he's saying comes directly from God. He has already identified himself as God. He says he that sees me sees God. Thus, Jesus makes it clear that those who reject him and the words he speak also reject God. Verse 50, and I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the father said unto me, so I speak. You know, there's a lot of people that can't comprehend this. They think there's the father and the son. They think there's two people in this involved in this conversation. They don't understand. He says, whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the father said unto me, so I speak. His soul is speaking through my mouth. His words are coming through my mouth because his, the soul, his soul, the soul of God is in this body of flesh. And when you see this body of flesh, you see God in a body of flesh without controversy. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus says we must all clearly believe and understand that only the word of God brings everlasting life. Everlasting life is a commandment of God. And he commands that every soul who believes in his death, his burial and resurrection shall not walk in darkness. Aren't you glad you're out of darkness? Aren't you glad you know who Jesus is? Aren't you glad you know who the Holy Ghost is? Aren't you glad that you're saved, sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost? Aren't you glad that when you heard the gospel, you did not reject it? Aren't you glad that you are not lost and you cannot be lost? 
Don't, aren't you glad that he's given you something that no one can take away from you? Not even you. But in order to take full advantage of what God has provided, one must believe. One must believe that Jesus is the Christ. One must believe that in order to be saved from the eternal consequences of sin, you got to repent, you got to be baptized in his name, and you got to receive the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. This is the only way to escape eternal darkness and torment. How? One must believe that God is. In this context, belief, believe in the Greek is pisteo. P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Pisteo. It is an act of conviction. C-O-N-V-I-C-T-I-O-N. Pisteo. An act of conviction. In this context, conviction is the state of being convinced. Conviction in this context is the state of being convinced. Conviction is firm belief. Thus, conviction means that one is convinced and one's belief is firm. Conviction means one firmly believes in a cause. Conviction means one is firmly gripped with the comprehension and the understanding of an idea. I'm going to say that again. Conviction means one is firmly gripped with the comprehension and the understanding of an idea. Conviction means one accepts this idea as the only true course of action. Conviction means one accepts this idea as the only true course of action. Therefore, where Jesus says we must believe in the one that sent him, he's talking about true belief. He's talking about belief at the level of conviction. Thus, every soul that firmly believes in the cause of Christ shall be saved. Every soul that is firmly gripped with the comprehension and the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be saved. Every soul that accepts being born of the water and being born of the spirit is the only true course of action to defeat the darkness of sin shall be saved. Thus, to come out of darkness and into the light of Christ, one must believe it and believe the, con con uh, uh, the gospel and believe it with conviction. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. One's belief must be firm. That's why they say on that solid rock I stand. Yes. Jesus is the solid rock. Jesus is the solid word. And we must be convinced and we must have conviction and be firmly believing his word without wavering. We must be convinced that belief in Christ Jesus is the only way to please God. Yes. Belief in Christ Jesus means that one believes that God is. Yes. And believing God is, is the only way to please him. Isn't that nice? That's nice to know that you can please God. Yes. That you can actually please him by believing that he is. Why? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now, we just learned that Greek term for belief is pisteo. And what's interesting about pisteo is that the root word is pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S. Which means to have faith. So what this means is that when Jesus says, if you believe in him, you also believe in the one that sent him. 
Mark 11.22, Jesus says it literally. He literally says in Mark 11.22, have faith in God. Have faith in God. He is actually saying if you have faith in him, then you have faith in God. In fact, in John 14.1, Jesus says, ye believe in God, ye believe also in me. That's what he says. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because when you believe in God, you believe in me. And when you believe in me, you believe in God. Now, we started out this message with, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And by now, we should be very well acquainted with this passage. But I ask you, have you reached the point of conviction when you hear this passage of scripture? Have you reached the point of conviction? In other words, have you reached the point that you firmly believe that God is? That no one can change your mind? Have you reached the point that you are convinced that God is? Have you reached the point that you truly have faith in God? Have you reached that point? Are you convinced? We must understand that faith is the only thing we have to get God's attention. Only means without others. Only means without anything further. Only means nothing else will do. Nothing else will do, Sister Cooper, but faith in God. Only means the single and most effective method. The only way to God is by faith. Therefore, when it comes to getting God's attention, we need go no further than faith. When it comes to getting pleasing God, that nothing else will do but faith. Faith is the single and most effective method we have to impress God. Faith is a spiritual thing. You don't put faith in the government. You don't put faith in people. You don't put faith in your job. Faith was given to you for one purpose and one purpose only, for you to put your faith in God. Because if you put your faith in anything else, you're going to be greatly disappointed. But if you put your faith in God, he says, I will never make you ashamed. Therefore, when it comes to getting God's attention, we need go no further than faith. When it comes to pleasing God, nothing else will do but faith. This faith... Faith is the single and most effective means by which we can impress God. And as I said, faith is a spiritual thing. And the beauty of faith is that it pleases God at whatever level it is used. And I'm thinking about the, the, the person that said to God, said to, said to Jesus, increase our faith. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. And do you know how Jesus responded? He said, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So it's not the quantity of faith, it's the quality of faith. It's whether you have faith at all. And it doesn't take a lot, does it? Jesus says the size of a mustard seed. Every soul is not at the same level of faith. As their knowledge and understanding in the revelation of God increases, though, as they participate in the faith, in faith, they move from different levels to different levels. That's why it says from faith to faith. Some are more spiritual than carnal, while others are more carnal than spiritual. 
Some are more spiritual than carnal, and some are more carnal than spiritual, but both of them are saved. Did you get that? However, whether carnal or spiritual, at every level, one's participation, one's involvement must be in truth. One, one's faith must be according to a firm belief and understanding of the word of God. You need to have a firm belief and an understanding of the word of God, and what you believe about the word of God must be true. Bless her heart, I heard this woman say, because her husband, her husband was dying, and she said, I'm going to bargain. I bar tried to bargain with God. I said, I, I, I promised him I would do certain things if, if he healed my husband. Well, her husband died. And you know what her conclusion was? Her conclusion was, sometimes God will break your heart to change your heart. She actually believed that God will break your heart to change your heart. So she obviously did not know the word of God. Why? Because Jesus said, I came to heal the broken hearted. So God broke her heart so he could heal it. And unfortunately, people believe those kinds of things. And when they're in a crisis, when they're having a really painful situation, they can't get through it because they can't understand. Why would God do? Why would God break my heart? Oh, he broke your heart so he could change your heart. Horse pucky. <clears throat> and they believe so much, so much stuff that's just simply not true. That's why I say if, if, if someone, if an organization believes in the Trinity, if that's their foundation, then they're not going to be able to comprehend anything else because they're believing their foundation is based on something that is simply not true. And you can't build something, uh, build a, a foundation on something that's not true. It's got to be true. It's got to be a firm foundation. And the only firm foundation is the word of God in truth. That's why it says we worship him in spirit and in truth. So whatever level one's faith is, it must be as a level of conviction. Whatever level one's participation in faith, at that level one must be fully persuaded. Romans 14.1. You getting something out of this? Romans 14.1. God let your house burn down so he could give you a bigger one. God's setting you up for a blessing. He didn't have to set you up for a blessing. He blessed you when he hung on the cross, suffered, bled, and died. Yeah. Romans 14, 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou to judge another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up. For God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. And here's the bottom line, Paul says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. 
let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Is that what it says? So what we must understand is that it only takes a measure of faith to save a soul. It only takes a measure of faith to change a soul from unrighteousness to righteousness. And the starting point for every soul is the level of weakness. We are all weak in, in the faith when we get into this. However, this level of weakness is not a weakness of strength. It is a lack of knowledge of the word of God. He says, my people perish for lack of knowledge, but they don't perish because of the lack of knowledge. They perish because I've given them the knowledge and they reject it. So the weakness is a lack of knowledge. One is spiritually weak when one lacks knowledge and understanding of spiritual things. So Paul is saying now, those who are strong in the word, that is to say, those who are more spiritual than carnal and have a deeper understanding of the things of God are to receive the weak. Those who are more carnal than spiritual have a lesser understanding of the word of God. However, in handling the weak, there is a stipulation. It says they must not receive, be received with doubtful disputations. In other words, those who are strong in their understanding are to accept those who are weak in their understanding without passing judgment on them in disputable matters. Disputable matters. What does he mean by disputable matters? Matters that have nothing to do with knowing, understanding, believing, and living the word of God. There's some organizations that believe women shouldn't wear lipstick. That's got nothing to do with nothing. They can't wear uh, dresses above their knees. That's got nothing to do with nothing. Paul gives examples of disputable matters. One group, one group said you shouldn't wear cologne. Said women shouldn't wear cologne because it entices men. He says, one believes it's okay to eat meat and vegetables, while another believes you should only eat vegetables. So one's a, a carnivore, an omnivore, and the other one's a, a vegan. He says, those who choose to eat meat and veg vegetables shouldn't criticize those who choose to eat vegetables only, because it has nothing to do with their relationship with God. Those who are weak are weak because they lack knowledge of the word of God. However, whether strong or weak, he says, it is the faith that both of them please God with. All right. All right. There's a saying, one man's meat is another man's poison. What tastes good to you may not taste good to me. But don't put me down because I don't like what you eat. Right, and don't put me down for what I eat. Right. In fact, God is not even concerned with what we eat or drink. Right. Really? That's right. Matthew 15, 11. Matthew 15, 11. You know, I don't say anything I can't prove. God is not concerned with what we eat or drink. Jesus said it very well. Not that which goeth into the mouth that defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth that defiles him. What comes out of his mouth? Je words of jealousy, words of envy, words of hatred. That's what comes out of him, and that's what defiles him. Jesus says when what we ingest does not make us any more corrupt than we already are. <laughs> what we ingest does not make us any more corrupt than we already are. What we say and do, how we live, reveals the corruption that is within us. 
this is his concern, how we demonstrate our conviction of the gospel. Regardless of our level of faith, are we convinced to the point that we will strive to live according to what we do know, the level that we do understand the word of God, the level that we do believe the gospel? He says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. In other words, I can't be persuaded for you. You've got to be persuaded in your own mind, and I've got to be persuaded in my own mind. That making sense to you? This is precisely the point. Every man and every woman must be fully persuaded in their own mind. At whatever level of faith, they must be persuaded. At whatever level you understand the truth truth of God, then you must be persuaded and convinced in that particular truth because that's how you grow in the knowledge and revelation of God. As it pertains to the things of God, human minds do fall in three categories. Human minds fall in three categories, natural, carnal, and spiritual. Natural, carnal, and spiritual. The natural mind cannot comprehend the things of God. They're foolishness to him. That's what Paul says. The natural mind cannot comprehend the things of God. The natural mind must be converted. The natural mind must be born of the spirit and renewed in the spirit of that mind. The conversion process now transforms the soul from natural to carnal. Carnal means one has been saved from the consequences of sin, but they must still grow in faith. Hmm. Carnal means one has been saved from the consequences of sin, but they still must grow in faith. And through this growth, they graduate now from carnal to spiritual. From carnal to spiritual. They grow in faith. They grow in the knowledge of God. They grow in their understanding. They grow in belief of the gospel. And then they apply it to their life. That's how it works. The word of God is to be experienced. The word of God is an experience. You follow the word of God and you experience the goodness in the word of God. And then you follow some more word and you experience that goodness and you continue to experience the goodness that is built into living according to the word of God. Hmm. That's how you become fully persuaded. By living according to his word. He'll do for you some things that you can't do for yourself. There'll be times when you can't do it for yourself and he will do it. But in the meantime, you have to live according to his word. He's not going to live according to his word for you. You've got to live according to his word. And if you live according to his word, he'll be more than happy to do things for you when you can't do them for yourself. That's what he said. You put your faith in me. I will never, ever disappoint you. I will never, ever make you ashamed. And this is how we move from carnal to spiritual. This is how we become fully persuaded in our own mind. Once one is fully persuaded, the trivial things of this world don't even become an issue. Doing things that please God are the major, is the major thing. Lord, I just want to please you. I want to please you because I understand what you did for me. I understand the pain and the agony you endured so that I could be with you forever. I understand how you allowed them to whip you all night long. I understand how you carried that cross up that hill. 
I understand the pain and agony you endured when they nailed you to that cross. You were humiliated. You were spit on. You were ridiculed. God in the flesh hung before the world naked as he hung his head and died. And you did it for me. You did it for me. And I, th- I can't thank you enough. I can't praise you enough. All I can do is be fully persuaded that you are God. I can be fully persuaded that you are my Savior. I am fully persuaded that you love me and gave yourself for me. I am fully persuaded that one day I will see you. I am fully persuaded that when I see you, I will be like you. I am fully persuaded that when I do see you, I will see the nails in your hands. When I see you, I will see the scar in your side. When I see you, I will see the scars in your feet. Oh, but when I see you, I am fully persuaded that I will be like you. I am fully persuaded that I will never, ever, ever be separated from you again. And as the song says, every day will be howdy, howdy and never goodbye. I will never be separated from my Lord again. And the devil can't do a thing about it. Hallelujah. Bless his name. Bless his holy name. I am fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded. I am convicted and convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and no one will ever change my mind. I am fully persuaded and convinced that you got to be baptized in his name. you got to be full of the Holy Ghost and have the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues or you are not saved and you're not ready for eternity. And if you reject that, then that means you are lost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he says we don't criticize. We don't criticize people at their level of spiritual growth. Galatians 6.1. Galatians 6.1. Because we're all not at the same level. We were trying to explain that to a brother one Sunday. Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, call him a backslider. Is that what it says? No, it does not say that. If a brother, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Meekness, not arrogance and pride and, and, and judgment. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So those who are spiritually spiritually strong have a duty to help those who are carnal and weak. However, in order for the weak to become strong, they must accept the fact that they lack knowledge of the gospel. They must be open to learning and growing in their faith. And those that are spiritual now are reminded, you're still in your body of flesh. And you're still subject to carnality also. So don't be so quick to judge someone and call them a backslider if they got caught in a fault. Therefore, the instruction and correction of the weak must be done with humility and meekness, not self-righteousness. Is that making sense to you? So what we must understand is that Paul is speaking from the premise that if a person if that if a person is made aware that according to the word of God, what they're doing is wrong, then with this new knowledge, they will stop. 
Notice, though, it's not what you eat and drink that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. So you're telling somebody, you, you, you need to quit lying on that person. You need to quit talking about that person because that's not godly. That's not godly at all. They may not have been aware of that. They may not. So when you tell them and they, and they accept it, then you tell them that, that what they're doing is wrong, and then they change. You make them aware. The Bible says, and says this very well, James 4.17. James 4.17. Listen to this. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Did you know you sin against yourself? Have you ever made a promise to yourself that you weren't going to do something? Did you violate that promise? You violated your own law, didn't you? So what did you do? You sinned against yourself. Well, what he says is if you know to do good and you don't do it, you've sinned. So what this means is that if after you've been told that according to the word of God, what you're doing is wrong, if you continue to do it, then you are not fully persuaded. You are still in carnality. Did you get that? If you continue to do it, then you are not fully persuaded in your own mind that the word of God is true. But if you cannot be fully persuaded about your sinful behavior and you continue to reject the gospel in unbelief, chances are that you were not converted. Chances are that you have not moved from natural to spiritual. In other words, like I said, you have not been converted. You are still in original sin. I have baptized people twice. They didn't get the Holy Ghost the first time they got baptized. They got baptized the second time and they got the Holy Ghost. But I had baptized a number of people twice because they weren't fully converted and they weren't fully convinced and they weren't fully persuaded. Hmm. So you're still in your original sin if you can't get past that. You need to come to the altar, ask God for mercy, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus and let him put the spirit of righteousness in you. Why? Because once you have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, he will now convict you. Now I'm talking about conviction in the context of letting you know that what you're doing is wrong. Yes, once you have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, when you do something, he will let you know that what you're doing is wrong and don't do it. Right. Now, you continue to do it. It does not necessarily mean you're rejecting him in unbelief. It means that you're trying to get your flesh under control. Because Paul says it. He says, I've got to pull my flesh down. I have to bring my flesh down into subjection. I have to pull it down. I have to mortify my flesh. Because what I would do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do is what I do. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? So you can be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and still battling with your flesh. And it does not mean you're not saved. It does not mean you have backslidden. There's no such thing as backsliding in the New Testament. I dare you to find it. This is making sense to you. So you've got to move from carnal to spiritual. Still, you've got to be fully persuaded in your own mind. You must be fully persuaded that unbelief is a lack of faith. And without faith, it is what? Impossible, impossible, Impossible to please God. You must be fully persuaded in your own mind that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You must be fully persuaded in your own mind that God is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
You must be fully persuaded in your mind that knowing, understanding, believing, and living according to the word of God is your conviction of faith. You must be fully persuaded in your own mind that God has given you the power to overcome the world. He's given you power to overcome your flesh. He's given you power to overcome the devil. He's given you the power of love and and of a sound mind. You've got to be fully persuaded in your own mind that God is real. You've got to be fully persuaded in your own mind that Jesus is the name of God. You must be fully persuaded in your own mind that the Holy Ghost is the soul of God that was in the body of Jesus. You must be fully persuaded that God loves you and will protect you from sin and death if You've repented of your sins. If you've been baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. If you've received the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. And no one can persuade persuade you. You have to be persuaded in your own mind. You've got to be persuaded in the deep recesses of your mind, past your flesh. Because your flesh is never going to be convinced. You've got to be convinced in your soul that Jesus is the Christ. In the mind of your soul that Jesus is your only hope in this hopeless world. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. (coughs) And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord. So he says, if you are fully persuaded, then you have the firm consolation that whether you're alive in this world or resting, awaiting the coming of the Lord, you are fully persuaded that he that shall come will come. Are you persuaded that Jesus is coming again? Are you fully persuaded that one day he will crack the sky? Because everything that he said is going to happen is happening right now. Everything. Everything. We are headed toward World War III. Did you know that? There's pestilence. There's famine. 150,000 people had to leave their homes and all they could leave with is what they had on their backs. They're refugees. And it's happening all over the world. And the scripture says the earth is going to rock to and fro (coughs) like a drunken man. And it's happening. Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad you're sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost? Because Jesus said, he says, when you see all of this going on, don't be afraid. Don't be upset. Just look up because your redemption draws now. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. We sang that song this morning. The saints will be rejoicing on that great day. Oh, we're going to be so happy because all this will be over, Elder. There won't be any more pain, no more discouragement, no more sickness, no more death, no more evil, no more wickedness. Just righteousness and peace on this same earth that God created for us to dwell on. And that's not a fairy tale. That's the truth, Ruth. And like I said, when we see him, we'll be like him. And we're going to see him in peace. We won't be afraid when we see him. Mm. Why? Because we were fully persuaded. Let's give the Lord some praise.
Hallelujah.